Good morning, everyone. Our scripture reading this morning is taken from 1 Chronicles 29, verses 1 to 20. If you're using uh, the chair Bibles, it's on page 356. I'm going to try and use this little thing I've got up here. And David the king said to all of the assembly, Solomon my son, whom alone God has chosen, is young and inexperienced, and the work is great, for the palace will not be for man, but for the Lord God. So I have provided for the house of my God so far as I was able, the gold for the things of gold, the silver for the things of silver, the bronze for the things of bronze, the iron for the things of iron, and wood for the things of wood, besides great quantities of onyx and stones for setting, antimony, colored stones, all sorts of precious stones and marbles. Moreover, in addition to all that I have provided for the Holy House, I have a treasure of my own of gold and silver. And because of my devotion to the house of my God, I give it to the house of my God. 3,000 talents of gold, of the gold of Oper and 7,000 talents of refined silver for overlaying the walls of the house. And for all the work to be done by craftsmen, gold for the things of gold, <clears throat> pardon me, and silver for the things of silver. Who then will, will offer willingly, consecrating himself today to the Lord? Then the leaders of the father's houses made their free will offerings, as did also the leaders of the tribes, the commanders of thousands and of hundreds, and of the officers over the king's work. They gave for the service of the house of God five thousand talents and ten thousand derricks of gold, ten thousand talents of silver, eighteen thousand talents of bronze and 100,000 talents of iron. And whoever had precious stones gave them to the treasury of the house of the Lord, in the care of Jehiel the Gershonite. Then the people rejoiced because they had given willingly, for with a whole heart they had offered freely to the Lord. David the king also rejoiced greatly. Therefore, David blessed the Lord in the presence of all the assembly. And David said, Blessed are you, O Lord, the God of Israel, our Father, forever and ever. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty for all that is in the heavens and in the earth is yours. Yours is the kingdom, O Lord, and you are exalted as head above all, both riches and honor come from you, and you rule over all. In your hand are power and might, and in your hand it is to make great and to give strength to all. And now we thank you, our God, 
and praise your glorious name. But who am I, and what is my people, that we should be able thus to offer willingly? For all things come from you, and of you, of your own, have we given you. For we are strangers before you, and sojourners, as all our fathers were. Our days on the earth are like a shadow, and there is no abiding. O Lord, our God, all this abundance that we are provided for building you a house for your holy name comes from your hand and is all you own. I know, my God, that you test the heart and have pleasure in uprightness. In the uprightness of my heart, I have freely offered all these things. And now I am seeing your people who are present here, offering freely and joyously to you. O Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, our fathers, keep forever such purposes and thoughts in the hearts of your people and direct their hearts towards you. Grant to Solomon, my son, a whole heart that he may keep your commandments, your testimonies, and your statutes, performing all and that he may build the palace for which I have made provision. Then David said to all of the assembly, Bless the Lord your God, and all the assembly blessed the Lord, the God of their fathers, and they bowed their heads and paid homage to the Lord and the King. This is the word of the Lord. This week in November, the last week, it's just only three weeks. <laughs> 10, 17, 20 something. Yeah. yeah. And then, then it's Advent already. <laughs> Don't worry, after the 12th, the Christmas music can start, right? But not before. Sarah's birthday's on the 13th. She always says, No Christmas music before my birthday. So, any Christmas music I listened to was at the church. And there was not very much of it, I'll tell you that right now, until later. So through November, we're going to uh, do a short series on, uh, your bulletin says, Power of Generosity. We're not just going to look at generosity, we're going to look at uh, a number of issues or topics surrounding the theme of money and finances. This first one's generosity, next week's going to be greed and contentment. Uh, you know, just 
basic, simple, light stuff. Uh, you know, easy, easy to go. This one is uh, particularly on generosity. Jesus and the Bible as a whole has a lot to say about how we use our finances, the way in which we direct our finances. Jesus says in Matthew 6.24, it's a familiar passage, no one can serve two masters. Um, you can either serve God or mammon is, is the word often translated as money. The idea is you can either trust God as the source of, of all that you have, as the one in whom you put security, or you can put your, your security and your faith in something else. Um, and often, the temptation is for us to put our security in money. And so money, in Jesus' mind, or mammon, anything that kind of can take the place of our security in God, can become like a rival God in a lot of ways. You can either trust God, or you can trust in something else. It can it can win our allegiance, so to speak. Um, the reason this is so important is because the way we use our money actually reflects often the state of our own hearts. Uh, when the wealthy John D. Rockefeller Sr. was asked, how much money does it take to make a person happy? And guess what he said? Just a little bit more. <laughs> Just a wee bit more. That answer never changes, right? Just a little more. Just a little more. In his book, God in My Everything, Ken Shikamatsu writes this. He says, when we come to Jesus, our relationship with money is also restored to its rightful place in in our lives. Martin Luther said, when we're converted to Christ, we undergo three conversions. The conversion of the heart, the conversion of the mind, and the conversion of the wallet. (laughs) In fact, one of the concrete indicators that a person is genuinely experiencing the converting work of the Holy Spirit is their relationship towards money starts to change. Isn't that interesting? So the idea is this, that as we grow in in deeper union with Christ and as we're walking with Him and as we discover who He is, we realize there's a greater source of wealth in my life than just what's in my bank account. It's in my relationship with God. And that begins to uh, change the way I seek satisfaction in my life, the way I, I spend my money, the way I hold on to money, perhaps, or the way I'm worried about money, perhaps. If we don't have much, we can be consumed with it by the worry of where's the next bit going to come from. But the call here for us as Christians is we discover, as we, as we find out how rich I am in Jesus, I actually realize I can be happier with fewer things. And I don't find the source of my identity, the source of my uh, who I am in what I have or how people respond to what I have, which is actually more often the case, isn't it? That sometimes I'm aching for recognition as people recognize the things I have in my life and they make me feel good by saying something about it. And in fact, social media kind of does the same sort of thing, right? I'll post a thing because I hope, not all of us, but this can happen. Um, I can post the things I hope I get good responses to it. That makes me feel good. Right? It's easy for that to become really, our hearts are slippery, right? It's easy for that to just send us into a spiral. The idea here, it's very countercultural that the church is called to live as though money doesn't actually equal happiness. And so what do we do with that? Uh, how do we begin to live that out? So I want to draw our attention to this passage in First Chronicles chapter 29. And I want to say, too, just as you, as you have it there in front of you, um, it's not as though there's something inherently wrong with buying things. Like, it's okay. You know, it's all right. 
It's okay to have money and to use the money. It's okay. But the, the caution is, uh, because of the nature of our hearts, it's so easy to become overly attached to our stuff. Right? It's so easy. And so this series is going to deal with a bunch of our attitudes towards money, but the hope is not to just talk about money, but to call us into a deeper trust and faith in Jesus. And, and, and hopefully, maybe shine a spotlight on some of the areas in our own hearts where we go, oh yeah, I need, to, I need to deal with that myself as well. So here we are. This first one's about generosity. Let's jump into this passage. First Chronicles chapter 29. Big picture overview if you're kind of unfamiliar with the Bible. Uh, Israel has just come out of Egypt through the Exodus. They're heading into the Promised Land. Um, day, under David and Solomon, they unite the tribes into a kingdom for the first time. Uh, that's actually doing fairly healthy. And during that time, God's presence, you want to come and meet with God and get to know him, God's presence dwelled in a very sort of sacred, holy, fancy tent. And you would go there uh, to meet with God. And David's heart in the last years of his life is to make a permanent structure for people to go meet with God, right? Uh, the temple is what we're talking about here. And this last moment uh, is this moment right here, right near the end of David's life. This is, you could say, it's kind of the pinnacle of David's life. And it's this enormous celebration. Let me read the first two verses again to you. David the king said to all the assembly, everybody's there, they're all talking, it's very exciting. He says, Solomon, my son, whom God alone has chosen, is young and inexperienced. Love that. Just straight up. It's going to be really hard, boy. You don't know what you're getting yourself into. The work is great, for the palace will not be for man, but for the Lord God. And then he says this, So I have provided for the house of my God so far as I was able, the gold for the things of gold, silver for the things of silver, bronze for the things of bronze, iron for the things of iron, wood for the things of wood, besides great quantities of onyx and stones for setting, colored stones, all sorts of precious stones, and marble. Like, we are not messing around. This building is very fancy. It's very ornate. It's very shiny. You won't miss it, right? It will glow in the dark for this rain. Full of symbolism. Uh, there's all the, the plants have all these beautiful images of, like, fruit trees and stuff. And the idea is it reminds you of going back to the garden. And so as you enter the temple or you enter the tabernacle, you see all this stuff that reminds you, oh, yeah, we're called to be in this intimate communion with God. And it's like this is where heaven touches earth, and we're going back to Eden in some sense. That's why that's why Exodus takes so much time talking about here's how you design the tabernacle. It's to call them back to faithfulness to God again. That's why you spend all the details on it. So the idea is we're getting all this stuff. David's been working, getting all this material together. Then verse three, he says, Moreover, in addition to all that I've provided for the holy house, I have a treasure of my own. So this is his personal treasury now, not just sort of the royal office, but David's own stuff. I have of my own, uh, my own gold and silver. Because of my devotion to the house of God, I give it to the house of God. So besides all of what he's given already to make this project kind of go ahead, David then makes a personal contribution over and above everything else he's provided. And then here's the list, right? Verses 4 and 5. 3,000 talents of gold, and he specifies where the gold came from. You and I don't know what that means, but it sounds like that's a, a note to make, right? Gold of Ophir, okay. 7,000 talents of refined silver. We're going to overlay the walls of the house in silver, guys. Right? It's going to be awesome. And uh, 
But what else does he say? Uh, all the work to be done by craftsmen, gold for the things of gold, silver for the things of silver. He is, he's gathered all this material, and then he makes this huge personal donation. And we're talking like hundreds of tons of gold and silver, right? Like it's kind of ridiculous, right? Like it's over the top amounts of stuff. Enormous amount of wealth and resources. And you could be thinking, well, like he's the king, so he's got all kinds of stuff. Chances are, uh, I was listening to, to uh, uh, Pastor Tim Mackey talking about this passage. He said, yeah, but even the king would probably notice, you know, 200 tons of stuff missing. <laughs> it's like, yeah, probably. Take it, make a dent in things. The point is, this is a big move on David's part. It's his own decision to act. But why does he do it? He gives it out of a deep passion for God. It's a personal gift that he makes at at a cost to himself. It's a sacrifice. It's given at cost. At a cost. It, it, it's not something he can just kind of give away and then, well, it didn't matter anyway. It, it means something, right? This is a lot of stuff we're talking about. And then he invites everyone to do the same. And we read in verse 6, they actually do this willingly. Right? The leaders of the father's houses make their coerced offerings. No. It's their free will offerings, right? He just says, Who who's willing to do this? Okay, brilliant. And it turns out all the leaders of the tribes, the commanders of the thousands and the hundreds and the officers, they gave for the service of the God, and then it lists a whole bunch of stuff again, right? All kinds of stuff. And whoever had precious stones gave them to the treasury of the house of the Lord. It tells you who was looking after it. He's someone later's like, yeah, who was looking after my stuff? It was Jehiel, you know, we can trust that guy, right? The Gershonite, brilliant, love that guy, right? And then the people were so sad because David had asked them to give. No, verse 9, the people rejoice because they given willingly with a whole heart. They offered freely to the Lord, and David the king also rejoiced greatly. They give willingly. It's remarkable. David's about to die. This is his legacy, right? This great personal gift. He gives it out of love to the Lord. But his giving actually inspires all the other leaders to donate to. And he's not twisting their arm. Right? This is the thing. He actually inspires them to do the same sort of thing. And they all decide we're going to be generous with our stuff too. They do this willingly. They're excited about it. And it's awesome. Now we can stop there and we can extrapolate from this. Oh, this must mean that to be a good Christian, I should give money to the church. Um, that would be kind of a poor sermon. And also kind of the opposite. This would be like twisting your arm and we went that route, wouldn't it? Which is the opposite of what just happened there. Um, that's not the main point. The main point is not give stuff to building projects, though that is a time and place for that. This is a, a remarkable act of generosity. And the big takeaway here should not be that you go home from the sermon and think, I need to pull myself up by the bootstraps and give more. That would just be inappropriate. That's not the point. Rather, we should be asking, like, what on earth motivates these people to be so generous? And they do it so willingly. Like, where does that come from? Right? What's happening in their hearts that they want to give in this kind of way? And is that in my heart? Do I have a heart that's generous? Do I have a heart that's willing to give out of the abundance that God's given me? Or am I 
there's something else going on. The question should not be, oh, they want me to give more. The, the, the thing you take away is, wow, as God moves in the hearts of these people, there's this sort of loving generosity that just flows. Where on earth does that come from? And what's going on in your heart? How do I have that same kind of attitude? And the answer is found in the prayer that follows. David prays this prayer that shows the motivation behind this sort of giving. It shows how the gratitude is formed in them. So David prays, verse 10. David blessed the Lord in the presence of all the assembly. And David said, Blessed are you, Lord, God of Israel, our Father, forever and ever. And we're going to get to it right away here. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty. Here it is. For all that is in the heavens and in the earth is yours. Yours is the kingdom, O Lord, and you are exalted as head above all. Both the riches and honor come from you. You rule over all. In your hand are power and might. In your hand it is to make great and to give strength to all. And now we thank you, our God, and praise your glorious name. In David's view, to whom does everything already belong? It's already God's. Right? This is already his in David's mind. And we may say that, in the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. We don't always live that, right? David has this firm conviction that everything in heaven and earth is already God's, is already God's. Even David's own wealth and his resources are already God's, right? Which is stuff he's actually worked quite hard to get. But he, he participated in building up that treasury. And yet, even though he's been part of the work to try and amass this wealth, he still says, yeah, but at the end of the day, it's God that gave me the strength and the mind to figure out how to do that too. Even though I was part of making this income, God's the one that gives strength. God's the one that that gives power and might. It's God who's made me great, my own kingdom, that many would look at and say, well, David, you did pretty good for yourself. He would say, actually, no, it's all a gift from God. I participated in it, but only so much in the fact that God was equipping me to be part of participating in it. It's actually all this. It's all gift. It's all gift. Even his ability to, to do the project, he says, this is actually all God's. And that recognition that all of this is already God's, this is what shapes David's heart to be generous. Look at verses 14 15. He says, Who am I? What is my people? That we should be able thus to offer willingly, because all things come from you. And of your own have we given you. We're basically just giving it back to you, Lord. We don't own this stuff, right? That's this point in verse 15. We're strangers before you. And sojourners, this means you're kind of homeless. We're just, we are, we are stewards. Whatever you've given us, we're stewards of it. Whatever house we may have, Lord, you've given that to us. Just like our fathers, our days on this earth are like a shadow. There's no abiding. We don't build things up for ourselves. Our lives are short. We don't have lots of time. Whatever we amass for ourselves, whatever projects, whatever businesses, whatever we may have for our name, uh, at the end of the day, really, is God's. And God's the one who's equipped us to even have the wherewithal to do that ourselves. So he says, 
Who are we to be generous? And you may, you know, we may go, yeah, well, David, like, you're the king. You know, you've got some stuff to give. But David never sees himself that way, right? Do you hear the humility in this passage? All his status, all his opportunity in David's mind, this is all just God's gift. It's not his kingship that gives him the heart to give. It's his gratitude, realizing that all of this is already in you. You don't need to have lots of money, essentially, to start to become generous. It's what's happening in your heart that shapes with generosity. Verse 16, 18, what's he say? Lord, all this abundance that we've provided for building you a house for your holy name, it comes from your hand. It's all your own. All this is already yours, and now we've offered it joyously out of the abundance back to you. And David's so moved by what happens. Look at verse 18. He says, O Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, our fathers, keep forever such purposes and thoughts in the hearts of your people. This place, it's like he's looking out over the people and saying, this place we're in right now, where we recognize it's God, we recognize how blessed we are where we feel this sense of gratitude and joy for all that God's given us, and we, we trust in him that we can give some away. He's going to look after us. This place, we're correct. <laughs> Lord, keep us here. Keep our hearts directed towards you. Keep these purposes, this humility, this joy. Keep us humble and generous and focused on you. That's what he's praying there in verse 18. And then he says, grant to Solomon, my son, a whole heart to keep your commandments. May this moment, this moment of blessing and joy and gratitude, Lord, may that be passed on to my son. May that carry forward so that he may keep your commandments, your testimonies, your statutes, performing all that not just we give and then our hearts go sideways, but we continue to want to walk with God, right? That's what that's about. And then he may build the palace for which I need then he says to the whole assembly, bless the Lord your God. And all the assembly blessed the Lord, God of their fathers. They bowed their heads, and they pray, and they're paying homage. And then they, I, we skip this part of the reading, they offer all the sacrifices. Right? They offer just in huge abundance, and then I love verse 22. And they ate and drank before the Lord on that day with great gladness. They're like, brilliant, let's have a barbecue. Let's do it, right? And everyone's excited. And that's how it is. And they anoint Solomon and they keep on going, right? This is about recognizing that our time, our resources, our lives, uh, our, all take place within the relationships of our families, uh, of the people around us. And David sees all of that as something he's received, and that's the key. It's like the more we realize, man, all of this is a gift from God, the more willing I am to say, Lord, I can give this back to you and trust that you will continue to provide me. May not be the lifestyle that in my heart I long for, to be recognized for, but I know you're going to at least provide me. I'll be okay. I'll be okay. And at the end of the day, he prays for their attitude, right? May keep forever such purposes and thoughts in the hearts of your people. He doesn't just pray, help them to continue to have lots of money to give away. He says, no, no. Let's, let's pray that our hearts, our attitudes actually stay right before God. Because if our attitudes are right before God, we recognize who he is, we respond out of that, then we'll be in a healthy place for whatever comes next in our lives. That's basically what he's saying, right? 
Lord, keep our thoughts, keep our hearts in this place where we're soft towards you. Be praised with joy. It's not like he's sad that he had to give a bunch of stuff up, right? Because he made a whole huge personal donation on top of it all. There's just thanks and worship and humility that just permeates this whole passage, right? He's so blessed. Everyone's excited, and then they have the big barbecue. They're all excited for who God is and what he's done. And David, you know, it's actually a word for us as leaders. David's actually modeling uh, a sacrificial giving that he then invites other people to respond. Again, not twisting their arm, but he, he doesn't create guilt. And I think that's what's so great here. So often when we talk about giving or we talk about being generous, it can foster a sort of guilt. That's the furthest thing in this passage. Hey, it's so much more about them being in a place where they just recognize God's faithfulness and goodness and then just respond with joy out of that. And as Christians on this side of things, we not only know God as our creator and the one who gives life, but we also know him now as our redeemer, the one who's entered into our sin and death and paid that price on the cross for our sins, how much more thankful can we be recognizing God has intervened in human history to set us right and to bring us back home to him? Right? It's just incredible. God's shown us now in Jesus the greatest act of generosity by sending his son. And that sparks gratitude in us today as well. So there's a couple things we learn. It's that True generosity, true gratitude, what's going on in your hearts is fostered only when we live in good relationship with God, in right relationship with God. We become generous when we see all that God has given us. We let the gospel shape our hearts. Jesus has given his life for us. And that impacts me in such a way that I'm willing to give all the life and abundance I've been given to help others or to, to give towards whatever it might be. And I can live in response to the gospel. The other thing that we know is David has actually created an opportunity for them to give. And we have opportunities to give every Sunday, right? With our kind of general offering, we still have our Haiti project going on. We've got other things that we're working towards. Um, but giving, it actually creates a sort of contentment and joy in our hearts as we give it back to God. And at the end of the day, like I said, as David prays, Lord, keep us in this spot. He recognizes this is about our attitudes. I just want to turn to another passage in 2 Corinthians 9, verses 6 to 8. And this is, again, all about attitude. This is Paul, and he says this. This is about the cheerful giver. He says, the point is, whoever sows sparingly will reap sparingly. This is 2 Corinthians uh, 9, 6 and 8. Whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. The idea being, as you give... So it will be returned to you in some measure. The more you give away, the more it returns, but not just like materially, right? But this is also sort of blessing in terms of your own piece of heart and mind spiritually as well. But then he says this, verse 7, I love this. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, right? Not reluctantly or under compulsion. God loves a cheerful giver. Right, so our giving, what again he's talking about attitude, what frames our giving, our generosity in life, whether you're talking about finances or serving or volunteering to help someone or showing up at Lois's to do the shingles, whatever it might be, there's an attitude underneath that. He says, You don't don't do it reluctantly. And don't do it as though you feel forced to. 
Because both of those are you start from the wrong place, right? God loves a cheerful giver. And God's able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. Point me, God will look after you, so you continue to give and love and serve in the way he calls you to, which is brilliant. The most important thing is that our giving is informed by the gospel. And here he doesn't say, it's interesting, right? He doesn't say how much they should give. He actually doesn't mention here, like, the idea of tithing or 10% or any of that. He doesn't say that here. He's getting at, instead, the underlying attitude, right? What's going on in our hearts? Um, in a sense, he's saying, you're deciding here how much. That's not the issue. The question is, what's happening in your attitude? Are you doing it reluctantly? Are you doing it under compulsion? And there's a difference between conviction and compulsion. There's a difference between God saying, I, I think you should give towards that. And you feeling like, oh, I have to. Um, and you may feel today God's stirring you to give or participate in something in a particular way. But he calls you to do so cheerfully and not with false motives. I learned a bit of this sort of early in my Christian walk. Um, I was trying to think back. Before I ever had a job, so when I was in early, early teenage years, somewhere in there, I remember mom and dad used to give me $10. I don't know if it was every week. Maybe. Can't remember. I'm young at this point. And uh, I remember learning about the idea of tithing, that you would give 10% of the church or whatever, and that kind of thing, that that's the thing you could do. And so I had my $10, and I remember thinking, oh, okay, I can, do, I can do that 10%. That's my loony, or my toonie, right, whatever I've got. And I remember as the plate would come by, I'd kind of throw my, my loony or toonie in if I, if I remember to bring it with me. And it, it seemed, you know, like so incredibly small, right, because it's like nothing. It was my dollar. Um, but what was important for me as I was learning to do that is it, it, it gave me the desire to continue to give. Um, and I learned it at a point in my life where I didn't have to really worry about it. But it also created me this sense of I can give this percentage. Right? So what, I, what happened, and then of course I got older and... Uh, had to trust God for finances a little more and all that sort of thing. But when I actually had a job and when we got married and we had kids and whatnot, we just kept giving that same percentage. So we just kept giving sort of 10% of whatever we made kind of back to the church uh, to support that ministry, you know, kind of financially and participate in some way. So we found uh, in our marriage um, that we just kind of do this now without really thinking about it. So when I this is, so here's like really down to earth what happens. When Kim gives me my check and I remember to go to the bank, this is honesty time, sometimes I forget. In fact, I had my check for so long last time, it was ridiculous. But anyway, went to the bank, I'll put it in, I actually used the ETM to deposit my checks now, which feels so weird to me, but anyway, you do that. So I put it in and then I take out whatever 10% of that is, cash, and I just like put that in my wallet. And then when I come to church the next day, I come to work the next day. Because um, I, I can't, I totally forget on a Sunday morning. There's times I brought it and I'm like here preaching. I'm like, oh, <laughs> oh there goes the plate. Yeah. <laughs> Whatever. So I'll get a little envelope and I put it in my tie that I, you know, my off I go. Um, so we found we just, we just do that. That's just been part of our lives for the last 10 years that we've been married. But I've been, kind of learned to do it beforehand. I learned to do it as a teenager. Um, and God has been so faithful. Like when you think about. Um, when we were at school, there came a point where we 
finances really shouldn't have worked on paper, but somehow we kind of made it through. And I, Sarah will still say, I don't quite know how that worked. <laughs> somehow something it jived, and we were okay. And we're both like, that's the Lord just looking after things. Like, I don't quite know how that. I don't know if it was just something between the groceries and the whatever. It just made sense. I'm like, baby, wow, all that kind of stuff happened. But we 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 want to build into our marriage early on the sense of being able to try and generate our stuff. So I'm saying all this not to brag. I'm just on just as David is showing an example to the people. Here's me being really honest. Here's what we do. So we give ten percent of the paycheck back to the church, which seems hilarious to me because it's like the church gives me money, <laughs> give the money right. Now. Like, honestly, Kim gives me a check, and then I take cash and go back to Kim's office and put it in the little vault. Right? It's like, I guess I could have just gotten it off the top, but I don't. And you know, it's actually nice that I don't, because it actually forces me to have to act to do it. Um, it puts it back. The onus is still on me to do that, right? It doesn't just kind of happen automatically. Um, since then, we, we do a couple of things. So we've got some World Vision kids that we sponsor. Um, we give to Regent as well, and we give to ACOP and, and a couple of things on a monthly basis. Um, but the idea is, when those things have come up, we haven't felt the compulsion to do it. We also haven't felt, oh, I feel really reluctant to have to give. It's like, no, I, I want to give towards this. Um, and I feel like, God, I, it's okay if I'm stretching it. I trust that you're going to work this out for me. You know, and he has, he has. And it comes from that place of saying, God, you've given to me so radically, so much, you've given your very self for me. Um, fostering my heart that same attitude, Lord, that I would want to be out of response to that, not just money-wise, but even with my time. But I'm present when I'm talking to people. How easy is it to just zone out when you're talking to someone, right? Lord, help me to give my full attention in this moment, actually, to engage with this person, this human being, important, right? They're worthy of my time and attention. Lord, help me to actually be here, be generous with my presence and who I am to actually Look him in the eye and try and talk to him. It's hard. It's hard to do, right? Lord, how do I be generous with my life? So what motivates us in this? It's a, it, it comes from a, a place of trust and abiding in God. And that's David's prayer for his people here. Lord, keep our hearts in this place. And that's my prayer for us. Just as we think about our finances, your money, I don't know what's going on in your lives. Maybe there's all kinds of debt. Maybe you're debt-free and it's awesome. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe maybe you've never had a lot. I tell you, when I had 10 bucks every week, I didn't have a lot either. You know, I'm still trying to give a little bit of something, right? Just fostering that attitude. Maybe this is a sensitive topic for you and it's really, it's really tough. Finances has always been a struggle. I don't know. But the call here, regardless of what your financial situation is, is actually to examine your hearts, right? Say, Lord, is there something here where you are calling me to, to recognize your goodness, how much you've given me, and you're asking me to respond in some way? Maybe he's calling you to give. Maybe, maybe you've never really given regularly to something. And maybe you can't do 10%, but he's saying, well, can you do 2%? That's conversation between you and God, um, not out of compulsion from Nick at the front who said you have to go down to this, I'm not saying that, or out of reluctance, like, oh, I did it wrong, now I have to do it right. No, go, go walk away with that. God loves when we can give cheerfully because we recognize it's already all his. We can trust him to continue to provide for us. That actually addresses, for some of us, our workaholism, right? 
Some of us are in the jobs we're in, or we keep working the jobs we're in because we don't feel we can get out of it because this is how I'm providing for my family. Uh, but actually, it becomes a source of uh, misplaced trust. Well, there, let's stick that one in. <laughs> Oh, I was wrapping up, and I was talking about my work. <laughs> but it's true. All that stuff's interconnected, folks, because we are all interconnected people. How we think about our finances, this is, this is directly related to our heart, our relationship with Jesus, how we deal with our own time, how we look at our own self, our own self-value, all of that stuff's interconnected. So let's pray, and pray that God would foster in us a joyful sense of generosity, not because we feel we should, but as we recognize God, you've given us so much. Let's respond as people full of joy, uh, living out your gospel because of what you've done for us on the cross. So let's pray. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you that you care about all the areas of our lives, not just uh, praying and reading scripture and our sort of walk with you, our relationship with you, but you you, Lord, call us to see how that walk with you impacts every area of our lives. How we look at our bodies, how we how we deal with what's in our wallets, how we approach uh, community and family life. All of this, Lord, it's all interconnected. Our sense of self-value, all of this stuff, Lord, getting older, dealing with sicknesses. Lord, you care about all of life. And Jesus, we thank you that um, you invite us into your resurrection life. Lord, I pray this morning, just as we've been talking about our own finances, our own abilities to give or not give, and all those things that come up as we talk about these issues. Lord, I pray that for those of us who are here where money is a, is a source of worry and a source of fear and a source of anxiety, uh, Jesus, you would help us to trust in you, that you would help us, Lord, to, to rely on you uh, to provide for us. Um, Lord, that you would you would make make the may help the ends to meet, Lord. Give us wisdom, Lord, in how we spend, what we do with our money. And I pray, Jesus, even as 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 that quote from Luther reminds us that you invite us as the Spirit works in our hearts to re uh, re uh, examine, Lord, how we how we spend the resources we give, um, that they would glorify you that we would honor and serve you with what we've been given, whether that's money or, or our homes or, or just, just our very lives, Lord. You've given us this life today. All of us here are grieving. All of us are alive. And Lord, that's uh, because of you. It's a gift from you. So I pray that even as we would go, um, and as we think about these things, Lord, as you would guide us, that we would, um, you would grow in us uh, a sense of, of wanting to be generous, of, of, of realizing with gratitude how much you've given us and how good uh, this life is that we're living in you. Lord, many of us are in places where it's, it's a hard time right now, and we don't want to dismiss that. We don't want to uh, paint over that or broad brush stroke that. Lord, everyone's situation is different. Um, but Jesus, you are present to bring your love and your wisdom and your guidance, Lord, to these areas of our lives. And you hold us, Lord, even in the times where we feel so broken or, or we feel that we just don't have a lot and uh, we're wondering what to do. Lord, may those moments cause us not to turn away from you, but to lean closer into you, uh, that we would trust you as the one who provides. And even as David prays in this passage, Lord, that 
that all of our strength, all of uh, who we are, what we've been given, this is all gift. Lord, it's all gift. And so I pray, Lord, that as we would go and as uh, many of us would be spending time with our families this afternoon, uh, that you would you would just remind us in the moments, uh, even as we're preparing lunch and as we're dealing with our kids and driving home, Lord, or whatever it might be, that this life is gift. It's sheer gift. And Lord, we're so grateful for what you've given us. May that prompt in us hearts of gratitude in return. And Lord, I pray that you would preserve us, Lord, from, from the fears and the anxieties and, of, of life that would kind of plague us and come against us. And I, I thank you, Jesus, that our life and our hope are found in you and at your cross. Bless my friends today, I pray in your name. Amen. 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 Friends, would you stand with me? <coughs>